1: Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never,
2: but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship.
1: With Sean Styers. I like that guy. What you could do is is you could have a barbecue on that head. It's a good
0: time. You know what I mean?
1: On Sports Radio 960 AM, Double West He's
0: running down the middle by the 50. He's bare chested
1: and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Stiers.
3: How we doing today? Monday's here. Championship Monday. Day after championship Sunday. For women's basketball, South Carolina beat Yukon last night to win the women's national championship. We've got the men's title game covered up tonight. Kansas- against North Carolina. Bobby Hensley and I are going to slug it out here in the studio. But congrats to Dawn Staley and her Gamecocks winning their second championship in the last five years, beating Gino and the Huskies. 14th straight Final Four for Gino Oriama, But it's been six years since they won a national championship. Amazingly, didn't realize this until they said this last night, just because they've been there so often and they have you know, even though they've been to all these Final Fours, haven't won national championships. First time that uh, UConn's ever lost in a national championship game. It, all the other times they've gone to the Final Four, the Final Four losses have been in the semifinals. So uh, last six women's championships by five different teams, with South Carolina being the only team to win twice in that span. No repeat national champions since UConn won four straight from 2013 through 2000. 16. They are, uh, you know, still the most consistent power in the women's game right now. Still the current equivalent, essentially, of what John Wooden and UCLA were to the men's game in the early, or, or in the 60s and early 70s. But, uh, you know, we're seeing a bigger variety of teams win championships now on the women's side. Don Staley, Geno, Kim Mulkey, Tara Vanderveer, the only four active coaches with multiple national championships. As of right now, and big reason recruiting is more spread out right now. There's not true parity because you do still have a team like UConn that's able to, you know, 14 straight final fours need to say more. And they had four straight national championships a few years back. But, you know, it's creeping closer to parity because, you know, Tennessee, when Pat Summit was there and UConn, they used to just gobble up all the top 10 recruits in the nation every year and these other programs like you know Notre Dame would would just miss out on on getting some of these you know really elite players but they were still funneling toward those two top programs and Notre Dame had a big run where they were more successful getting them and you saw it in all the final fours that the Irish were able to get to and got a couple of young you know really highly rated recruits right now on that team but you know, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Stanford, Baylor under Kim Mulkey, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. They have all made inroads in recruiting. That is the biggest difference with uh, this kind of starting to separate a little bit right now. So, again, congrats to South Carolina, Don Staley wearing her designer 4,800 Louis Vuitton jacket and the, uh, the matching shoes last night coaching from the sideline in the national championship game.
1: Three seconds remaining. The coaches meet at half court. The number one seeded Jayhawks stay atop the pecking order with an 81-65 win over the Villanova Wildcats. KU is all the way through to the national championship game. 30 seconds to play, 13 to shoot. Love dribbling, gets a screen, three, top of the key. Oh, he got it! Caleb Love! Gives
3: North Carolina the four-point lead. Some uh, sounds from uh, the Final Four Saturday night. Kansas and North Carolina both moving on, giving us a blue blood battle tonight in New Orleans on the men's side. Kansas against North Carolina. Ochai Abaji woke up six three-pointers. David McCormick had the game of his life. 25 points, nine rebounds, and the Kansas win over Villanova. Yes, I was pretty happy. Caleb Love just... Keeps going nuts. That big three pointer he had right there. 28 points as North Carolina ended Mike Sheshewski's illustrious career in the late game Saturday night in the Final Four in New Orleans. Tar Heels going to their sixth national championship, first since 2017. Uh, rookie head coach Hubert Davis looking to become the fourth North Carolina head coach to win a national championship in Kansas. Looking for his first titles, title since 2008 when Bill Self and the Jayhawks beat John Calipari and Memphis. And then it was four years later, 2012, he had a rematch of the head coaches, but not the programs. Calipari was at Kentucky by then. Kentucky and another blue blood matchup. 2012, Kentucky beat Kansas in the national championship game. That's the last time Bill Self got him there. Interestingly enough, that was also in New Orleans the last time the Final Four was in Orleans. New Orleans, Kansas versus North Carolina, nine twenty tip-off tonight. Get your coffee or your ghost energy drinks or whatever it happens to be if you're going to stay up watching uh, the national championship game tonight. Should be a good one based on how these teams have been playing. Looking forward to it. Should be hopefully, hopefully a good one out there tonight from New Orleans. And you'll hear it right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Well, spring football practice continues at Notre Dame. We saw a little bit of practice Saturday morning, not a lot, some stretching, and then five periods. You know, you get the dynamic warm-ups and all that stuff, and then a few drills out there on the field before the media had to leave. But uh, some notable guys out there watching practice, like Quentin Nelson, Sam Mustafer, a couple old uh, Harry Heaston guys were there, Greg Madison. Former Notre Dame defensive coordinator and defensive line coach, he was there. He worked with new Notre Dame defensive line coach Al Washington at Ohio State. Madison retired now and uh, taken in a little bit of practice over there at Notre Dame. Didn't get to see anything really live though. A few short passes from the quarterbacks. I guess you know we did see some some pass routes uh, downfield, mostly against air, and you know some of those a little bit of light coverage and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, again, no no real live stuff. But here's what new Notre Dame running back coach Delan McCullough had to say recently about how his running backs fit into the passing game. We did get to see some of the running backs catching some short passes out there Saturday and Saturday morning's practice.
2: They fit in real good. You know, I mean, we got a bunch of guys. We got multiple um, skill sets, um, ability to pick up the blitz, obviously run with velocity. And, and, um, attention to detail. Um, really like how the guys out on the perimeter catching the ball. Um, Audrick, you know, is a guy who you wouldn't look at on the surface. as a guy who has um, great foot fire and attention to detail and bursting the routes, get in and out of breaks really good, but he does. Um, same thing with JD, just trying to get him under control with that. And obviously we know what Chris Tyree brings to the table and, um, you know, and Logan Diggs too. So just Excited to have a well-rounded group that's competitive and supportive of each other.
3: He was talking about Audric Audric Estime, of course, the uh, rising sophomore and uh big guy. We'll talk more about him in a minute, but uh, that's not a guy that I would want to be having to face in space if I'm out there. And Audric Estime makes a catch, and he is he is coming at me. He will uh, bring the thunder down on you, and of course respectable numbers for for Notre Dame running backs in the receiving game last year. Kyron Williams was Notre Dame's third leading uh, receiver with 42 receptions for 359 yards, and Chris Tyree, 24 catches for 258 yards. 116 of those came in the Fiesta Bowl, and then Logan Diggs, six catches for 56 yards. So they played a part out there, and uh, kind of expect to see an increase in that this year, especially considering... The state of where that wide receiver room is right now, and Joe Wilkins. I didn't even mention that Joe Wilkins. I had it in the Sports Center update, but Wilkins is out for the rest of the spring with a least Frank injury. His foot, basically broken bone in his foot. Same thing that Kevin Austin had a couple of years ago. So uh, that is concerning. I'll talk with Brian Driscoll here in a few minutes about that. But as for Delane McCullough, come to the came to the Irish after a year. In the college game at Indiana, he worked at, of course, for the Kansas City Chiefs under offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy from 2018 through 2020. Prior to that, now a new boss with Irish offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, and here are some of McCullough's impressions of Tommy Reese.
2: Sure, man. You guys, at the end of the day, we want all the coaches to be experts in what they do. You know, and one thing that's very clear to me is that uh, Tommy Reese knows quarterback play at a very high level and knows a system that he wants to see here and how it can thrive. The thing that I've been, you know, impressed with as well is just how he continues to you know, He's continuing to grow in his position. Um, you know, he's open to ideas. I know I send him some things like, hey, check this out or check that out. You know, and shoot, he said, hey, let's do it. Let's put it out there. You know, so, you know, as any coach you want to continue to grow, you never got all the answers. You know, I know I don't. You know, I've learned a whole lot of things there too. But Coach Reese, man, that guy's man, that's, that's a good dude. I like. Him.
3: Not a lot of uh, not a lot of BS, not a lot of bull you get from Dwayne McCullough. I don't know if you've noticed that in the times that we've had uh, some of his comments here on the show. But the Irish, of course, with a new running back coach in McCullough, and his first task is to replace Kyron Williams, who ran for over twenty-one hundred yards and twenty-seven touchdowns over the past two seasons for Notre Dame, and. You know, he may have some questions about his speed and suitability for the NFL and all that different kind of stuff now as, as Karen Williams prepares for the NFL draft. But he was more than capable at Notre Dame, one of the best they've had in the backfield probably in the past 20 years. I'm not saying the best. I'm saying one of the best. But he was right up there, and now McCullough has to replace him. So how does he do that? I,
2: I don't know. You know, I mean, well, one thing is I know I'm very excited about the guys. We have Kyron, man, this guy's dynamic. You know, obviously was out here at the pro day. I know a whole bunch of guys who've, who've contacted me just about anything I hear off to the side. And I say, look, you got a phenomenal player, phenomenal guy. You know, that's not going to be easy to replace. However, um, that's the challenge that we all are willing to take. We're excited about taking, you know, and replacing, you know, uh, replacing that level of production if it's one guy, great. If it's two or three guys, that's fine, too. But the production will be there.
3: I mean, there are plenty of quality options for McCullough to, to work through right now. Chris Tyree injured a lot of last season. Logan Diggs performed well as a freshman. Andre Estimate didn't play a lot, but, uh, you know, a lot of people high on that guy. And, again, that guy is a load. Freshman, early enrollee, Jadarius, or J.D. Price, J.D., has a... Uh, he apparently likes to be called, but how are they making that adjustment with Karen Williams gone now?
2: I don't know because I wasn't here when Kyron was here. So, I mean, all I know is I'm coming in, you know, from the background that I have, where, you know, in the NFL, you're perpetually replacing guys and put guys in positions to um, be successful. In college, I did the same thing. So, um, the thing is, the pieces are here. The pieces are here. And I'm excited about, you know, those guys showing myself. Coach Reese and Coach Freeman, that they're ready to take on the load.
3: Yeah, I mean, and and that's a great point about his NFL experience because you can have a guy for three, four, however many years, and then he comes up for free agency. He's gone, or he's cut. He's gone. You know, and you're you're constantly that roster is evolving, and it obviously evolves and revolves in college as well. So what's the competition looked like with these guys who are vying for that time in the backfield for the fighting Irish right now?
2: Well, understanding just the mentality of the room. So the mentality of the room is perpetually to separate or gain on guys. Separate gain on guys. Separate gain on guys. So when you say that, the room ends up it's always constantly elevated. So you're always, you know, putting yourself in a position for actions to attract trust. And I say, look, when I'm looking at you guys on the field, that's what I want to see. When we watch tape, I want to see trust being attracted. But more importantly, everybody continuing to push each other. So, you know, it's been good. You know, I, I mean, guys ain't blind. They can see what's going on out there. They can see, wow, this guy's got guy made a play. And the guys, the competitiveness in them continues to want them to make a play too. So, I, got, I know I gave you a roundabout answer just to say, we're doing pretty good. I feel real good about <laughs> what everybody is doing
3: that maybe was, you know, a little bit more, uh, not necessarily word salad, but closer to it than probably anything that you're going to hear from Delann You But know, Chris Tyree, pretty good year two years ago. 73 carries, 496 yards in, in 2020 when he averaged 6.8 per carry. Down last year, 56 carries, 222 yards and only four Per carry, you know, and Cameron Williams' yards per carry was down as well with the issues in the offensive line, but the bigger thing for Chris Tyree is he just wasn't healthy with the turf toe and all that different stuff. So we didn't get to see quite as much of him, and he was a little bit closer to healthy by the Fiesta Bowl, and then he was primarily a receiver when he had the six catches for 115 yards. So he is, the you know, the, the guy sort of at the top of the heap right now. He's definitely... The most experienced, and we've seen what he can do. He's he's that guy with the breakaway speed. We saw that in the kickoff return against Wisconsin last year. But does DeLan McCullough now think that Chris Tyree is ready to be a lead back?
2: That's what the plan is. So we're going to continue. That's all of these guys. Every guy in our room is being trained to be the starter. That's what the mentality is. All of the guys are being trained to be the starter. How it shakes out as this thing goes on, we'll see Right. But they're all being trained to be a starter. I think Chris has the attributes to be a starter You know, here at Notre Dame, Cliff.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that that you would expect. He brings a lot of versatility, and even if there's someone else in the backfield, say it's Andre Estime in the backfield, you can you know you can still. Uh, I, again, I would imagine because in part of what the wide receiver core looks like. And the ability that, that uh, we let off talking about with these running backs that Notre Dame has as receivers, and again, Chris Tyree probably being at the top of that heap, think puts them in line for, for more 21-type personnel, that kind of thing, two running backs, one tight end. Okay. And obviously you've got an NFL-caliber tight end, a guy who's going to be a first-round draft pick as a tight end next year. But then Estime – the, uh, the biggest overall, not the tallest, but the biggest overall in this wide receiver group for the Fighting Irish at 5'11", 228 pounds. He is a load, but is he ready for a big workload for the Fighting Irish this season?
2: You know, he show it every day, you know, and it's, and it's been exciting to watch him. You know, a guy with high expectations, works super hard, embraces the attention to detail. And like I said earlier, you know, for him to be of his stature, I think I was surprised at how good his feet is, his change of direction, his burst, um, his hands, his ability to catch the ball. Obviously a strong guy in pass protection, student of the game. Just the guy you like to be around in general. So he got to, you know, like all the guys, very hungry for this opportunity to show what they can do. And I'm going to give him every opportunity possible to show them.
3: Yep. And, uh, you know, he, you know, again, Skills as a, as a as a pass catcher, and like he was just talking about his feet and kind of looking at his feet and the size and all that kind of stuff. There's like, you know, a little bit of Marshawn Lynch. I'm not saying he's going to be Marshawn Lynch, but I'm just saying the footwork that he has reminds me of a guy like that a little bit. And then you look at this incoming early enrollee freshman, Jadarius Price, who has opened some eyes already this spring as well.
2: I'm very high on him. Mean, I remember, you know, when. Talking with J.D. Uh, maybe a little bit before spring break, really challenged him as far as continuing to gain weight, um, continuing just to embrace the smaller details of playing football. And I always remind him probably every couple of times he go out, I say, this is major college football, man. Just reminding him, you ain't high school no more. This is just for real. you know. And, and he's really, he came back after spring break, he had gained weight. Um, I've been really impressed with his strength, his burst, um, his just demeanor, he's tougher than what, his body may look like, and he's up to close to 195 pounds. Now. So uh, after the first football school that we did, I told all the coaches, I said, oh, this guy's, he's legit. You know, so again, to go along with the other guys we have, um, it's been um, a, a, something that's up, that I've been pretty excited about.
3: So a lot of promise in that running back room that Delan McCullough has to work with Chris Tyree, Jadarius Price, Logan Diggs, and Audric estimate for guys with uh, with a lot of potential, and I think we're going to see some some pretty good things out of that group. Excited, looking forward to, uh, to seeing all of them in action now. We're going to take a timeout, more Notre Dame football conversation coming up. We've got plenty of Final Four talks still to come as well. We will be done about an hour from now as Westwood One's coverage of the Final Four from New Orleans begins here on WSBT. Budweiser's Weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bun's for you. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim. Serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana hungers a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. The Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. And Wings at Centra Grill and Pub with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order online at togo.wingsetc.com. A timeout and then Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com will join me for more Notre Dame football talk on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on this Monday on Sports Radio 960 AM. Excuse me, WSBT. Brian Driscoll with me right now from
4: IrishBreakdown.com. Feeling better today, my friend? You know, I was feeling really bad until you started playing that CBS intro music <laughs> for college football, and all of a sudden, like, my nerd passages, pass just, you know, cleared up. I got all this second bowl of energy. I told you, man, that song does it for me. That's right. Does it for
3: me. <laughs> Absolutely. Boop. Okay, there we go. Um, well, let's let's start with, with the bad news first. Joe Wilkins going to be uh, out for the rest of the spring with the foot injury. Lease Frank and, you know, broken bone in his foot not a big deal for the spring but it's the same kind of injury that really hampered Kevin Austin a couple of seasons ago when you know he injured his in fall training camp obviously so how how big a deal do you think this is right now for the Irish
4: unfortunately i think it's a very big deal and the reason i say that is is because i i think Kevin's one of those or excuse me Joe's one of those guys that you know, provides a lot of veteran leadership and, and there's a lot of value that he he bring to the table but he's not necessarily a guy that you would call like an explosive athlete and the, and the reason that matters is because a foot injury at this stage in the season doesn't mean he's not going to be you know healthy enough to play but it does raise doubts about will he be full speed and a player like him who's not necessarily like that elite athlete type of guy yeah can't afford to necessarily lose a step if that art was the case. And so that's what makes me a little bit nervous about it is I know he'll be back for the fall, but you know, wh- where will he be when he gets back in the fall? And that's the bigger thing. And then of course, just anyone that knows Joe, you don't have to spend very long, very much time at all around Joe Wilkins to really just, man, this is a good kid, you know? And yeah. you just hate to, you'd see that happen to anybody, but it stings a little bit more when you know what he's had to overcome and, and work through to get to this level. just, Makes it an even bigger bummer.
3: Is there anyone you know w- when you look at this group right now? I- anyone maybe is going to benefit you know just from having the rest of the spring, getting more reps, or is it you know is it almost like man, you don't want to like <laughs> you don't want to wear these guys out because of the fact that you've got so few scholarship guys out there right now.
4: Well, you remember w- we didn't know that until spring started. We didn't think Joe was even going to be out there in the spring that's just true and not not that not that he came back faster just there was uncertainty we weren't told and you know because he got hurt in in, in October there was questions of, well you know with with the knee would he be would he even be back in the spring and I actually was working with the assumption he would not be back with the team for the spring and so at that time it's kind of like they're gonna go 15 practices with this limited number of scholarships well he was able to make it to almost half of the practices which meant he got some work, and then you know took some of that burden off of the younger players. Well, now you kind of go into these last six, seven practices, and you say, you know, now you can maybe ramp it up a little bit with the Deion Colsey you and know, Lorenzo Styles, and just see, you know, how much you can get out of those kids and how much you can push them. Because if Joe is is not going to be 100 percent again, if that's at all a possibility, you have to prepare like it is. Mm-hmm. That puts even more on Deion Colsey's shoulders, you know, because Joe would kind of maybe be one of those boundary type of guys, and so. I think this puts even more on him and just, you know, it's even more important that Coach Stuckey really work with Dion to get him ready to go. And it, I found it fascinating that, you know, I asked Coach Stuckey a question on Saturday because he has talked a lot about wanting to get like a diverse group of players, you know, not everybody to be the same skill set, which is kind of one of my beefs that I had with the previous coach. And, you know, I said, but I also know as a former receivers coach, it's not easy to, you know, coach Dion Colsey at the same time you're coaching Avery Davis because their skill sets are going to be so different. Right. It can be a challenge. And, and it was interesting. I asked him broadly, you know, how do you handle all those? And he immediately went to coaching Dion and, and how he works with Dion and the different things. In the, and you could just kind of tell, at least maybe I'm reading more into this than I should, but it seemed to me like when he thinks I got to really work with a guy, Deion was the name he went to which tells me he's kind of already taken that Dion Colsey approach of we've got to get that kid ready because he brings something different that the rest of our guys just don't have.
3: Do you see any way or are you hearing anything right now as far as grad transfer market, you know, that kind of thing? It seems like they've got to add at least one, if not two, at this point just because of well, everything
4: they, they've we're talking been, about. They've been, yeah, they've been looking uh, – it's just you know how it is is with the transfer thing it's it's a it's a challenging thing and the other the other problem they have too sean is it's not just as simple as calling up a kid and saying hey do you want to come play for us there's lots of kids in the transfer portal that would love to come to notre dame it's a is the kid good enough to help you and b can you get to get them into school the guys that you would really want that can really help you may not want to come to notre dame because of the guys we do talk about like okay I'm going to come, but you're not going to promise me playing time because you've got Brayden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles and right. Andrew Davis and Deion Colsey and, and Jaden Thomas and, and Tobias Merriweather and potentially Joe Wilkins. Like, there's no promise of playing time there. And that, when you're a grad transfer, especially, that is the one time I've always said that athletes need to be their most selfish because you get one crack at this, really. Yeah. You know, and you've got to get True. this one right. And so you do need to take into account, like not that you're afraid of competition, but you also have to be smart and say, that's not necessarily an opportunity where I could go to this other school. That's maybe not as big as Notre Dame or as talented there. And I can be the guy that's not going to, there's, there's not a whole lot of receivers out there that can just come to Notre Dame and say, you're the guy, you know, with the talent that they do have. Right. And I think that, that adds to the challenge of being able to convince someone that's good enough at that position to actually help you not just be a body. Cause if you just want bodies, you know, of decent players, you've got a couple good walk ons in Connor Radigan and Matt Salerno. I mean, sure. I mean, Sean, you've seen Connor Radigan play in high school. That's a good football player. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to be a, you know, Lorenzo Styles and Deon Colsey, but if it's just about depth, you know, are, he may be as good as some of the guys that might come in as a grad transfer. So I think that's really the thing, too. But it's mainly just about, look, get the guys healthy, you know, get De- Tobias Merriweather here, get Deon Colsey ready, get Avery Davis back and I'm going to continue to bang on this drum, as long as Xavier Watts is not one of the top three safeties, you need to look at him as potentially being that guy. <laughs> that's,
3: that's a good point. It's a very good point, since that's where he came from <laughs> last That's <year>. right. <laughs> Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. So Saturday, after practice, Marcus Freeman said that they are going back to the tradition of pregame mass for home games at the Basilica. So mm-hmm. I'm curious – one, what you think, and two, since you guys with your podcast and all that stuff, it's very interactive. You know, when all that—I don't know how much you've done since then, but you know, have you got much feedback from from fans and the like on what they think about this as well?
4: We talked a lot about Marcus Freeman embracing Notre Dame in today's show, and that's really what it boils down to. It's—I don't think people necessarily care as much about that they're coming back from the Basilica as much as why. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily that, you know, gee, they won championships under Lou Holtz and Eric Parsegian and Frank Leahy because they walked from the Basilica to the stadium. You know what I mean? It's more about just another example of the fact that Marcus Freeman has so fully embraced Notre Dame's tradition. And the reason behind it was that was impactful to him when he visited as a prospect, like, wait a minute, that's like one of the coolest things that I remember about Notre Dame when I came as on a visit as a student athlete, cause he was recruited by Notre Dame. And it was the, it was behind like him, his, his co- complete embracement of th- the, Notre Dame is a different place. And, and instead of talking about what makes Notre Dame different or quote unquote harder, as if it's a, a stumbling block, we're gonna embrace those things. And we're gonna come back and say, this is what makes us special. This is what makes us better. And you know those are the things that that I find, uh, that I found really fascinating about, um, just about this decision because it's just on top of a a decision after decision after decision.
3: Yeah, and I mean I, I get it, and and just what you said they won. Okay, so they won championships back when Holtz and Percy and all that, but they also won a lot of recent games just from a time management issue where you're not, you know, that, that hour and a half or whatever that is, that is devoted to that. That was, I think that was, you know, part of Brian Kelly's rationale for, for moving away from that. And they, you know, they won a lot of games the last few
4: years. You know, that we talked about that during our show today too. And, and it, you know, people say, we know, Brian Kelly won more games than any coach in Notre Dame history. We also lost more games than any coach in Notre Dame history. It's a longevity thing. And, you know, you look at all the wins they had, they went 11 and two this year. Do you know how many teams they beat that finished the year ranked in the top 25 zero none not a single team in but, but none of them were they... going
3: to mass for an hour and a half before their games either so but notre dame isn't losing to those
4: teams <laughs> because they didn't go to mass, or you know if they'd have gone to mass right i mean they happened to win a championship under lou holtz when they were doing that right like i think it's some of the things that brian kelly did it's kind of like women that that you're really going to say that's like a strategy for me it always felt brian kelly like he was just trying to change the traditions and just make it about, you know, what he felt it should be about and kind of reshaping the program and his image. And, you know, like it or not, that's fine. He has a right to do that because he's the head coach, right? Sure. And he can kind of do whatever he wants. I think for me, it just comes back to, you know, I, I don't see any inherent advantage to doing it the way Brian Kelly did it. I don't see any inherent advantage to doing it the way that Marcus Freeman's going to do it. It's it's not necessarily about that, where you come from. It's the It's the bigger picture of what that signifies. And, and it goes much beyond where they, you know, where team mass is or where they walk from. It just, it's more about the reasons why. And that's why I said the, I wrote an article today and I said, you know, Marcus Freeman's going to win at Notre Dame, not because he has embraced the Notre Dame traditions. It's why he has embraced the Notre Dame traditions, because that's going to lead to, you know, A, B, C, and D, the things that I spelled on the article about it's, it's, it's what's behind it. The value that is behind it that has caused him to, to, to embrace those things is the reason why I believe he's going to be successful here. So it's not necessarily, you know, leaving from the Basilica, like gives you, you know, like you're going to have this angelic, you know, warriors (laughs) coming with you to the stadium that are going to help, you know, like angels in the outfield kind of thing, right? Remember that back in the day with with Christopher Lloyd and uh, Tony Danza? Right. Uh, It's not that, right? It's not that kind of thing. Flap your wings. It's it's just, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's not that. It's just you know because that bleeds into everything else that he does and everything else that he embraces. It's why they're recruiting at an elite level in a way that we haven't seen Notre Dame recruit since Lou Holtz was here. It's why there's an energy around it. It's why there's you know there's there's Notre Dame alums that I've known that haven't been back to Notre Dame in years that can't wait to get back to campus. It's because they're seeing that there's finally a head coach at Notre Dame. That really embraces what makes Notre Dame unique and isn't constantly using those things as a stumbling block or a or a justification for why they can't win. And I think that's what people are excited about.
3: You know, by the way, speak, you know on the subject of alums, I, I talked to one this weekend, and very, very excited about the uh, the new openness between the mm-hmm. head coach and the connection that, that he's having with the alums of the program you know football alums specifically Mm -hmm. obviously where you know they're i think these zooms that they're doing it's like become like a monthly thing now you know where where they're getting all these guys on and
4: just you know spitballing with the head coach they all seem pretty excited about it they are they're fired up and it's it's about you know it just seemed to them like when i talk to i mean i've gotten this i can't tell how many times i've gotten this it just felt like you know when brian kelly would talk about notre dame the way he did you know, and he would he would almost we, we were talking joking in our show today. Like, you'd listen to Brian Kelly talk, and it's like, dude, you're giving all this ammo to the teams trying to negatively recruit against you. Like, you're you're embracing like you know it's hard to go to school here, and the weather stinks, and we're far away. It's just like, like you know, this. But that's how great I am because I'm able to win in spite of all these things. <laughs> and you know, the thing that made Coach Holtz unique is Coach Holtz. And this is what this is what I'm not telling I'm not telling you this because I didn't cover Coach Lou Holtz, right? I'm telling you what I'm told by all the alums that played for him is like. He would look at those things, and it was never an excuse. Like you remember when, when Notre Dame lost to Miami and, and Stanford late in 2017, and Brian Casey talking about how how much travel they had, and you know they had finals and academic workload, and just and and just almost it was an excuse for why they lost. Mm-hmm. And they they would say Lou Holtz would use those things as an excuse for why we were better than everybody else, and why we would win every game because nobody was working as hard as we did. And it's about perspective. And when you view what makes Notre Dame unique as something to overcome. You're gonna portray the institution in one way, but when you look at the things that make Notre Dame unique as special and things that are gonna make you better and stronger, you're gonna then be even more willing to embrace the tradition that came before you. And Marcus Freeman is one of those guys that says, I'm I'm standing on the shoulder of giants that have come before me. And they have the, the, the sacrifice they made is why I'm here where I am. Where I kind of felt like the previous head coach kind of looked at like, you know, Notre Dame sort of owed him for his greatness and it's two completely different you know contrasts and and personality but it's also about you know it's going to make why they embrace Notre Dame in such a different fashion.
3: Speaking of uh, Giants and alums we've uh, seen some of these uh, offensive linemen coming back Quentin Nelson was back this weekend Zach Martin was back I think it was last week it's a pretty big
4: literal flex for uh, for old harry he stand out there yeah <laughs> sam Mustafer was on campus yeah, that's right. this weekend sam as well yep. yeah uh you know so and, and you're gonna see more and more and more they've already talked about the they're gonna beat the lineman camp this summer and yeah you're, you're not joking man when you're like oh by the way today at practice quentin nelson's gonna be helping us out and oh by the way today zach martin one of the greatest guards that ever played the you know the, the game of football is, is going to be helping you guys out today oh and by the way a, f- a former third round draft pick, uh, who was a three year starter for us and on the twenty twelve team, oh, he's your graduate assistant coach, yeah. right? And Chris Watt. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really is, but it's also great for the players because you know, when 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 they're like, Hey, look, you know, gee, this is hard and and, and coach is always honest and demanding excellence and he's nothing's ever good enough and he's you know, he's doing all these things. You get these guys to come back and say, Man, these guys love this guy. Did he push you like he pushed me? And they're like, Oh yeah, man, trust me. And it's but here's why you need this, here's why it's good for you. Because look where I am, and Coach E role in that. And I think that's great for not just Coach E but it's great for the players because and that's something that Marcus Freeman has embraced, right? Like, look, I don't he said this. I don't want it to just be about, you know, using tradition as in like this this thing you discuss. He goes, Tradition is you this is what he said to the players in that first zoom meeting that they made public accidentally that we got to watch before they took it down is it's not about the tradition isn't about these things it's about you you're the tradition i need you guys around the players and that's just a message they hadn't heard before and you can see them all just like you know, so excited about it because they have a great love and passion for the, for the school that they went to. And, you know, that's why I quoted Oscar McBride. And it's why I quoted Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated in my article today, because they're both alums looking at it from a completely different point of view. And alums can give a perspective that myself, someone who was not an alum at Notre Dame or didn't play football at Notre Dame or baseball at Notre Dame, didn't graduate from Notre Dame, can't really grasp that I think fans need to understand as to why Marcus Fre- Freeman is being embraced in the manner that he is.
3: Yeah, and by the way, the, that alum I was talking about that I talked to uh, said that after that video was was uh, released and everyone got to see it, you know, the next meeting that they had, you know, it was like, uh, okay, guys, we're going to do this. But the next time one of these
4: videos gets out, we're done, <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's one of those yeah. things like, okay, you're using us as a prop. Like, yeah. that would be my concern. is exactly. like, you know, you're doing this thing as a prop, you know. No, this is meant to be – um You know this is meant to be between us, and so I'm I'm actually glad that they took it down, and I'm glad the further ones haven't because that's there are some things, and you've heard me say this about the locker room, right? Like get cameras out of the locker room, like Mm -hmm. before the game and at halftime, turn them off or get them out of the locker room because there needs to be a place that's just for them, that's just for the players and the coaches, and it's the same thing with these kind of things. Like there's a space that no, we as the media don't necessarily have the right to be a part of, or that fans have the right to be a part of. And now we can see the byproducts of it, right? But there are some things that need to be about the players, the former players, the coaches. Right. Uh, and and that's one of those things.
3: What happens in the locker
4: room stays in the locker room. A hundred
3: percent. A hundred
4: percent. I mean, absolutely. It yeah. doesn't mean like there's abuse going on. It just means to be. There are like, things hey, that I don't, don't need somebody... to be out there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Brian Driscoll, IrishBreakdown.com. What else is going on right now? Tons of recruiting. I, you know, I really believe we've kind of set the over/under at Irish Breakdown uh, at five and a half for the uh, number of commitments Notre Dame is going to get in the month of April. And uh, really curious to see how that plays out. But we're gonna, we're gonna see recruiting is really gonna really take off here in the next month of April.
3: Okay, sounds good. We'll be following that closely, of course, Brian Driscoll. We will uh, talk to you Wednesday. Looking forward to it. All right, as always, Brian Driscoll, Irish Breakdown com. A timeout. Bobby Hensley is going to be joining me here shortly. We've got an abbreviated rapid fire with Final Four coverage starting at 630 tonight. Budweiser's weekday sports beat.
5: Just for uh, you. Wow.
3: Bobby Hensley.
5: What a great day. <laughs> <laughs> got to hear a little bit of Journey.
3: Got to see you. Get to hopefully see your team losing the national championship game tonight. Uh,
5: even if they do, it's still a good
3: season. We are, uh, he's Bobby Hensley, I'm Hi. Sean Stiers, of
5: course, Budweiser's
3: weekday sports beat. I brought in a little journey for him. I asked him asked him what he wanted last week, so we went with some separate ways.
5: <laughs> I bet you'd like for us to go our separate ways, yeah. especially tonight we're going our separate ways. I
3: know, so Bobby is a big North Carolina fan, I'm a University of Kansas alum, of course. When did you kind of start on the tire Heel thing? When did that start?
5: Oh, it would have had to have been early 90s. Hmm. So you were still pretty
3: young then. Yeah. Like, very young.
5: I think part of it, I know everybody makes jokes, but you hate Duke so much. Their arch rival was Carolina, so I enjoyed right. watching Carolina. Back then they had, like, Eric Montross and stuff. Like Yeah. So bloody eye it was a different – kind of basketball back then it was but then you know you got into the 90s and it was how could you not like Vince Carter and yeah. Antoine Jamison and in fact
3: I think Christian Leitner gave him a bloody eye at the final four if I remember right
5: not the final four because they haven't played each other
3: oh that's right it wasn't it, it might have been the ACC championship that's game. right that's right I just watched I hate Christian Leitner and that was in there the bloody eye and yeah. you know when he goes to the free throw line and all that well it did I did this early in the show last week you weren't here uh, you know we, but we did have the blue blood conversation, and people disagree with us about Villanova. Look, Villanova's a successful program. Doesn't they're, make them a blue blood.
5: They're a good program, but they're Doesn't make not them a blue, blue blood. blood. No, we've
3: been through this before. But here's the interconnectedness and how far back these two programs go. And obviously, you know, Kansas, James Naismith invented the game. He so was, they had
5: an advantage at that
3: point. They, <laughs> right. they had a head start on everyone. They had the first peach basket. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> so he invents the game. At Naismith uh, Boulevard is is the street that runs out in front of Allen Fieldhouse right now. Fog Allen, of course, who Allen Fieldhouse is named for, played for Naismith. Is Kansas's second head coach after Naismith, Dean Smith who was born in Emporia, Kansas, raised and went to Topeka High School like 30 minutes from Lawrence. Dean Smith played for Fog Allen at Kansas, won a national championship in 1952 under Fog Allen at Kansas. Of course, he goes on to become the legendary head coach at the University of North Carolina, where Roy Williams plays (laughs) for Dean Smith, assistant coach on uh, dean smith's first national championship team and then larry brown played for dean smith at the university of north carolina wins a national championship at kansas in 1988 he's fired for some improprieties like he was everywhere else (laughs) that's right roy williams follows him as head coach at kansas of course goes on to coach his alma mater but bill self uh, was a grad assistant on Larry Brown's 1988 National Championship team and so then the, you've got Bill Self, Larry Brown, Roy Williams, Dean Smith connected to Fog Allen connected back to Nate to to uh James Naismith just how intertwined and f- it, these are two true blue bloods of the game <laughs> of course
5: and um we talked about it one of the criteria You know, spanning multiple regimes, and I think that's obviously both of them. And in 1959, they played for the title against each other, Carolina and Kansas. That was the last time. That's right.
3: That's right. And so uh, here they are tonight, going at it once again. Um, At 9:29
5: p.m. Tip off. That's why I'm drinking an energy drink right now.
3: Yeah, all right. I got to get into this break, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll zip through the next uh, segment of the show as well. But first, I've got to tell you about this final crazy night of college basketball. The National Championship game is here. FanDuel Sportsbook's giving new customers a $150 instant bonus guaranteed. You get $150 in bonus site credit, and all you have to do is place your first bet of $5 or more. How you bet tonight's championship game is is up to you. But, of course, I like Kansas in the money line. So join FanDuel today. Use my promo code WSBT. Then you can place your $5 bet to score $150 in bonus site credit guaranteed. That's promo code WSBT on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Must be 21 plus and present in Indiana. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem, call one 800 9 with it. Sports Center update next and then rapid fire in the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat.
1: You are listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers. On Sports Radio, 960 AM, WSBT. Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers.
3: Along with Bobby Hensley tonight, it is Rapid Fire and put on the boxing gloves. <laughs> That's North what Carolina, it feels like Kansas. sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so what did you think? Were you uh, surprised at all by what you saw Saturday night when North Carolina beat Duke?
5: I wasn't surprised because they had already beaten them, and they had also lost to them. So it was the rubber match, first of all. Right. The only thing that's surprising is that this little eight seed keeps beating big teams. So I talked about it a little bit, but even if you They just don't feel like an eight seed They don't. They aren't. I mean,
3: they are playing like they should have been a one or a two. Now, we obviously... You've got to put the resume to get... I saw somebody tweet this, and it's true. On Selection Sunday north carolina Notre Dame's win over North Carolina was not a quad one win
5: <laughs> which is hilarious I know and, you know, and they started the season a little bit rough first year coach team gets better throughout the year. they lost to Pittsburgh and I think it was the end of January since then Carolina's eleven and one, which is the best record in college basketball yeah they've looked like one of the top i would argue ten teams at least since since then mm-hmm you know i that's a low i it's probably even higher than top 10 you could argue but so is it surprising they're going through this tournament probably not it sucks for Baylor that got matched up against them in the second round because well for carolina as well cuz that game could have gone either way at the end but carolina does not look like an 8 seed no but i mean think about it like if they would have been matched up against any of
3: the one seeds kansas included i mean you could have they could have potentially beaten any of them yeah. in that second round the, the way they're playing right now. And like even, it could easily, if they had been matched up with Kansas in the second round Kansas would have been out in the second round maybe instead of playing in a national championship what, game. What's today. been
5: impressive about this run is that Carolina's been down towards the end of games and they've played so well in the last couple minutes. Because against UCLA they were down by one. They hit a three stopped him, got another three. That's a five point swing. That's right. Same thing kind of happened against Duke. It was back and forth, back and forth They hit a huge three towards the end and that put it not on ice, but it made the game really challenging for Duke to win, and obviously they didn't come right. out. So it's just impressive to me how they well they played in the clutch with guys that weren't clutch all year are playing terrific in this tournament.
3: Okay. Do you buy or sell a letdown for the Tar Hills tonight after they just beat their biggest rival in Coach K's final game Saturday night in the final four?
5: I will sell. On the basis, because I thought about this, and if you look at the last time they beat Coach K, they lost their first game in the ACC tournament or second game, so you could call that a letdown. But I think it's a lot easier to get yourself back up for a potential national championship. So yes, we beat Coach, we they beat Coach K, they're going to the title game, but I don't think there'll be a letdown because. That's still – now you have something huge to achieve right now. Right. So it's not like you're just going against another team that maybe you could have a trap game type situation. I this mean, is it. From my
3: perspective, I'm just hoping that there is. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, but at the same time, it's like they did just spend a lot of energy in a game like that against a huge rival and all those things going right. So, I mean, they're they're there very easily could be. But you're absolutely right about now – Okay, we're an eight seed. We just beat Coach K. We did all that stuff. There was all that hype there, but now there is. You got one day off. You got a you know kind of got a day to flush it and, and practice and get ready. And now you're playing for a national championship game tonight. Well, There's literally nothing bigger to play for in college basketball.
5: And that's kind of what was annoying me. Win or lost the last round against Duke, people were saying that was bigger than a title. Some people, eh, that's no, that's I garbage. Go that far. Because even if Coach K had won, if he had won and then lost to Kansas, it's kind of like a well. Eh. But the thing that's incredible is that Carolina, except for the St. Peter game, they've been in pretty good, well, in the first game against Marquette. They've been close games, physical games, down-to-the-wire games. So it's like how much how much mental stress has that taken on them, and what do they have left against Kansas? Now, I'm not saying Kansas had a cakewalk, but they were in control of that Villanova game most of the way, and Carolina barely beat Baylor in overtime. And then they struggled with UCLA, and then Duke was a close, emotional game. So, their road to that game has been a lot more tolling on them than what KU's had to deal with.
3: I mean, this this game scares me. I mean, it's the national championship game. Yeah, it's a one seed for versus an eight seed. Yeah, Those seeds but are it's, out the window. But again, like when you look at the matchup of athletes, like this is this is the best matchup Kansas has had to face, just in terms of the athletes on the other side of the floor in this tournament to this point, because. You know, Villanova had some guys and all but they're they're still they're they're more about playing that kind of, you know, traditional what you think of when you think about physical biggies, basketball and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't have the horses. And once abaji started hitting some threes, it just cause they had to decide were they gonna guard the perimeter, were they gonna try to, to shut down McCormick on the inside you know they really wanted it to be one of the two but as soon as a starts hitting those three pointers and he freaking hits his first six of them yeah they had no hard they had no way to defend both inside and outside because then other guys like brown stepped up harris hit a couple you know it's like there was just too much for him to contend with but for north carolina it's going to be a lot different tonight it's going to be well, such a different matchup
5: kind of what i was touching on too is that carolina i believe they've never been down big in this tournament they were up huge on Baylor and kind of blew it, but then held on. Oh, they like, didn't kind of blow it. They did blow it, but biggest, then they came back. Yeah. yeah, which might even be more impressive. And stupid, how many and stupid teams
3: me, I was actually pulling for him to win that game yeah. at that point. Well, you could have <laughs> lost to
5: Baylor at this step as well. It's true. Uh, but, you know, just that how much they've been either in control of a game or ahead and not behind. So if Kansas can jump on them on the beginning, hit a couple threes early, I think that would put Carolina into fits because they haven't had to fight from behind. They've been in close games where, okay, yeah, we're down by two, but, you know, you keep playing your game, you're not out of it. I I think if you play Kansas and you're down six to seven, maybe even eight in the first half, that'll put Carolina on their heels, no pun intended, and (laughs) see if they can come back because they haven't had that situation. Yeah. I just don't see
3: Kansas being able to get out to that kind of hot start again. And then that makes the game. the 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 kind of team they're playing is just so much different. Right. But maybe you know there's always that it's well sure just like I don't I don't see that
5: you know I don't either is there a
3: matchup you're looking at tonight
5: no I think I I truly feel like the game's a coin flip and I think they, they're just gonna run up and down the floor and myself. even a couple even after the moments after the Duke game I was like wow I really wish Villanova had won see and you that's
3: know. you know that's the crazy thing too you know talk about running up and down the floor is Kansas scored no points in transition against Villanova because they didn't have to.
5: They just could set because McCormick the clock. was yeah. massive
3: inside, and then they hit all those three pointers. I thought that that it was going to be kind of a you know a sluggish you know kind of start, and by the time you know Bill Self would get something figured out, and then they just start throwing it over the top like they did the game before that in the Elite Eight against Miami. You know the way they did against the Hurricanes in the second half. That's not the way. It went, and I'm just, I just, I have no idea how this game is going to play out because again, both you've got really even athletes on both sides of the floor tonight,
5: and um, I, I don't know Kansas as well as you, but how good is their depth? Because Carolina's is pretty shallow, so if you can get a guy in foul trouble, or if you can get I, an injury would occur, that puts North Carolina down quite a bit because that's they don't have a whole lot of depth, especially yeah. to inside. I mean, they're, and that's
3: McCormick you know, is the guy inside. If he gets in foul trouble, they can go to Lightfoot. you know, to bring him in for some minutes. He's a little bit, you know, he's he's a little bit more, you know, he's one of those guys who's been around for a million years now, Lightfoot. But
5: Like Perry Ellis was. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> you know, so they've got depth there. They've got depth on the perimeter. And, you know, the X factor before Saturday night had been Remy Martin, the point guard, because he transferred from Arizona State, he had had kind of a ling- lingering injury. He barely played in January and February. And they kind of thought, well, is he kind of dogging it? You know, all this different kind of stuff. And then he comes back for the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. He's playing he, pretty good. He's been their big X factor. He wasn't as much Saturday night, but they didn't need him. B- again, because Abaji had really, like, that's the best Abaji has played in in the whole tournament. And definitely the best that McCormick has played. But... To answer your question, there's depth especially at some key places like it's typically been Martin comes in maybe 3 or 4 minutes into the game and really, you know, really kind of lights things up, but
5: I don't think, you know, again, it's a different opponent.
3: Yeah, different opponent. He's a little on the smaller side and that's I think the scare- what, what what scares me at some spots is the overall length that Carolina has. So I don't know.
5: It's just if Fiji can hit those threes cuz that that's huge. I that's mean it. anybody beats makes their first six threes, that game's going to be in their favor. Yep. But you know, I just I don't think there's a clear favorite in this game either way. No, I don't either. Um fill in the blank. It's blank
3: that most of the Duke players went straight to the locker room without shaking hands after Sunday night's loss
5: to North Carolina. <laughs> expected at this point. I think it's expected because they they were Already down on Carolina because Carolina didn't throw a ticker tape parade for the last game that Coach K coached at um, Chapel Hill, right? Which is right across town from Durham. Like it's not even like they were across the country or big thing. Just shut up! I, and so they've already been against it. They snubbed the handshake line last time. I, it's not surprising to see that. I I don't understand why it's so petty. I've say this every time you brought it up. Get rid of the handshake line. <laughs> No more handshake. Lines. I don't understand the point of it because no other sport does that. If you want to like meet in the court and mingle, it's go true. ahead. right. But I don't see the reason of a forced one because it, all it does is create problems. If it goes perfect, there's no advantage. But if it doesn't go perfect, now you have problems. You have a coach punching another coach and you have. So the fact that I would rather have Duke just walk out of the court than go through the handshake line and snub him.
3: You would have thought that especially just what you said after the first time at Cameron Indoor, that it would have been something that the great Coach K would have addressed with his team beforehand, and you know, because because of all the the grandstanding he has traditionally liked to do and lectures he likes to give, and and you know the, the you know the pats on the chest for the cameras and stuff like that when he goes through the handshake line, you would have thought that he would have addressed that with his team to make sure that he had all the class that he likes to you know remind everyone else the that they class. that they need to have yeah. you know at the, at the end of games and in those different situations i think it's pretty disappointing because of everything that's you know was built up about this whole situation and with him specifically
5: yeah you know you and i have talked about him and his class he he's one of those people that likes to try hard when the spotlights on mm-hmm. i feel like the class it's when he when it's convenient for him when he's the one that can show it it's never, like, he's never been the one to be the one. Hey, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure this happens. Right. And even the end of that game watching with, like, they kept showing his wife and stuff. And I I think that <laughs> I think they were bringing her down thinking Duke was going to win <laughs> at that point because they were up. And just the way that all played out at the end was weird because, like, they, they were focusing more on, like, him. And he's going to the, like, I don't know. It just felt awkward to me. It's like the game's still going on, and it's not settled. Yeah. Why are we talking about this other thing? Because even as a Carolina fan, I'm really happy to, to be in the championship game. That's what matters the most to I me. Realize, game. I
3: realize network TV has their stories they want to tell and they want to follow the storyline and, and all that. But this is the final four. That's it, exactly right. It still needs to be about the game. And right. then after the game then you can handle this coach K and his you know whatever else. Keep the focus on the game especially when it's a close game, especially
5: like when it's probably one of your highest highest rated games of all time. Yeah. I didn't see the ratings and it was on TBS so that was different. You know, it wasn't CBS. I saw
3: the initial ratings were only, not quite what they thought they were going to be. Like Oof. 16 point some million, but that didn't include like Sports bars and, you know, like the right. out of home viewing and all that stuff, which which can bump it up. You know, which, I mean, that well, means that there were a lot more because, yeah. you know, that they're, and I mean, just like look at the two. It was kind of cool. Did you see the videos of the two arenas, uh, you know, at at the Dean Dome at North Carolina and at Cameron Indoor? They were both packed with students watching the games during the game and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool.
5: I think that's neat yeah. for both sides. Yeah. That's
3: something cool to do. All right. Jim Nance, once again. <laughs> calling the national championship game, calling the final four tonight. Here's my question. And I've heard this posed from other, you know, people who cover media and stuff like that. Considering Nance doesn't do college basketball during the regular season. Should he be the the voice of the final four for CBS?
5: See, I'm okay with it. I, I like his voice. I he He's been there for a long time. So it's not that he doesn't he know basketball and, I think I'm okay with it. I don't really have a problem. Who else would you want to be the voice? There's a lot of Iron Eagle love out there. Sure, but he also does other things. I mean, but you're saying he still does basketball during the season. Mm -hmm. And I can get, I I like him. I think he has a great voice, Iron Eagle. Basically, like
3: Nance, you know, he does the Big Ten tournament. And really beyond that, he doesn't do much basketball between the Big Ten Tournament and then NCAA Tournament and Final Four. It's like one month a year he's doing some basketball.
5: I'm totally okay with it because like, even look at NBC. Mike Tirico doesn't cover a lot of the things that he covers or shows up for. Yeah, like He's at the Indy 500. He doesn't go to a race all year. He covers Stanley Cup. He hasn't been to a hockey game all year. I think that's kind of the Jim Nance thing. He does the Masters. He does the Final Four. He does football. I think that all of that. Is just part of his brand and I, I'm okay with it because his voice is synonymous with it at this point. Yeah. I just I wish I understand the other side.
3: Like the thing about the, the thing that is nice about Ian Eagle is is like, you know, he he works in his color guy, you know, like he plays to his color guy. I don't feel like Jim Nance really tries to set and like in TV, T V sports. The, like, radio is more about the play-by-play guy because it's radio, and the play-by-play guy has to describe everything, give the picture and all that stuff. TV tends to be more about the analyst. And when you have Raft, who is one of the, you know, one longest tenured and, you know, great sense of humor and all that different stuff, and like he and Eagle have worked together, for example, before. But you've got Raft and you've got Grant Hill. I think Nance needs to be setting those guys up a little bit. And that's not even to mention the fact... Why does he do the player introductions That's at the weird. final four? When you've got a PA guy whose job is to do that as well.
5: I'm okay with the PA thing going away, but I uh, maybe Nance. I wouldn't have a problem with Eagle doing it. Plus, what I like about Eagle is he is a college guy. Like he does college football. I feel like he's just more in tune with college sports than Nance. But uh, Nance has been there for how long now? So you I mean he's been there for a long time, and he's only he's only like. 64,
3: 65? He's not as old as I thought he was, actually. Look, I get it.
5: I get it. But I just feel like there are better play-by-play
3: guys who could be sitting in that seat.
5: Th- that's a different question than what you asked. Because you asked if Jim Nance, if it bugs me, for, for, well, that he doesn't watch or he doesn't go to a basketball game, then he covers that. But those
3: guys are better because they're doing basketball. Sh- sure. Like, like, like Eagle and Harlan
5: would be the two... I always like Harlan on everything. Yeah, that's why he's good on the those, radio. To those me.
3: would be my two guys, and they both do a lot more basketball than Nance, and that's my point.
5: But Nance, to me, and I get it, I he's the CBS Sports darling. He's the the pinnacle. He's of the lead it. guy. So what? So then you would he's argue? He's Great on
3: the Masters. The Masters is his thing, and he's he's NFL. But I don't think Final Four. You can't be have a thing. guy
5: that's the pinnacle of your sporting network, and then you have one of your marquee events, and not have him calling it. Right.
3: I just feel like they're better play. But by there play are guys. better
5: play-by-play people for the premier.
3: For a guy who's only doing basketball once a month, I, I feel like they have other guys who are doing a lot more basketball who would be better in that seat.
5: I can I can follow your logic and say okay I understand the eagle would be good. Look, Nance and,
3: is Nance, and he's still you know lead dog and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like if that's you're right. though.
5: Know, they should bring in um Buck and Aikman to cover the Final Four. There you go. Maybe they should have a split or an alt screen of that. All right, we got to wrap things
3: up. Budweiser's weekday sports beat, Bobby. I will talk to you later this week. Can't wait. Westwood One coverage of the Final Four coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
5: We could all use a little good news in our life. Well, here's the deal. State Farm has new, lower car insurance rates in
3: Indiana and Michigan. Actually, surprisingly great rates. So now you can get the service and convenience of a State Farm agent like me at an even better price. This is Agent Tim Growl. That's right, State Farm can
5: help you save more and get the good neighbor service you deserve. It's the real deal for car insurance. Call me, State Farm Agent Tim Growl, today at 574-232-9981. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
0: Hey, you. Ever wanted to learn a language like French or Spanish or even Norwegian, but thought it'd be too difficult or time-consuming? Then try Babbel. Quick 10-minute lessons. Siesta. Sí Bábbola. Games, podcasts, even live online classes with a real teacher. Hola, clase. In no time, chatting about real-life topics will feel, well, effortless. Learn a new language with ease. Go to babbel.com to try for free. That's b-a-b-b-e-l.com.
2: If you've ever ordered food for work, you understand.